We just lost Jim. Oh, we come literally on. just oh. lost Jim, and I just hit record. Oh, wow. another another lightning bolt must hit the clock tower and, and sent him back to 1955 or something. Yeah, we need yeah. everyone an update. <laughs> we'll find that. out. We'll, we'll yeah, we'll give everyone an update on what's going on. Uh, welcome to Continuing Conversations. Our conversation today has been about weather in America, and Jim Johnson is in an area where a lightning bolt just knocked out his power. It took him about what 20 minutes to get on, and just as I hit record. He yeah, disappears. Out of here. <laughs> so we'll give him a we'll give him a moment um, to get restored. I I I think he might be out of power. This really that might not be good. I mean, yeah, there, the weather happens. Yeah, his not warp drive might be offline. Not that you need warp drive for power. No, no, there's no. there's there are other reactors. <laughs> Fusion, fission, you can use solar panels or a solar sail like a certain uh, Mars mission in another TV show. Which is excellent. I'll plug it here. I'll, I'll, it, it gives me inspiration for Star Trek oh, yeah. Adventures uh, for all mankind. That is uh, some amazing uh, plot seeds in there for sure. It's got a, it's got a very strong Trek pedigree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They even quote the original series in many episodes. They do. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Makes me very happy. Mm-hmm. Do that. It's very cool. Well, for those of you who are just tuning in, and while we wait up oh, here, here comes Jim again. Let's give him a chance to uh, speak to us about where he got transported to. So Jim got transported somewhere, and now he's back. <laughs> he's back. You're still oh, muted. No. Yeah, you're still muted, but that's okay. Yeah, I right. There we go. Ah. How many of errors tonight? Obviously, <laughs> was it another lightning bolt? No, it's just a, it's a, it was a Zoom crash. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, and that's fine. You know, it, this is actually so apropos to what we're talking about tonight, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, thank you, everyone who's tuned into Continuing Conversations, where, of course, we talk about everything Star Trek Adventures RPG. I'm Michael Dismuke, freelance writer uh, for Star Trek Adventures RPV, RPG, and also a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG. And we're going to keep trying to keep that going. Now we have a special array of people with us here today. So I'm gonna let Jim, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself, talk about your power and Zoom situation, uh, and then tell us why we've all assembled here today. And we'll introduce everyone else. Sure thing. My name is uh, Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Medithius Entertainment. And uh, it is uh, mid-July. I'm having a whole bunch of uh, issues with my computer because of the rain that's going through the DC metro area. Uh, we got huge thunderstorms, huge rain, huge uh, lightning and everything. So if I cut out in the middle of this, you know, apologies. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But in the meantime, I've got uh, Aaron Palea and Patrick Goodman here with me, along with Michael Dismuth. And we're going to talk about all about Picard's season one crew pack tonight. So I want uh, Aaron and Patrick to introduce themselves. So uh, you're right below me, Patrick. So why don't you go ahead? Oh, I'm Patrick Goodman. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures and... Lifelong Trekkie, and I am r- ready to go tonight. <laughs> okay, and I'm Aaron Pallier. Uh, I'm also a freelance writer for uh, Star Trek Adventures. 
I'm your starship and technologies kind of guy. I like uh, dealing with the science because that's one of those things I've always been passionate about. So here I am to talk about a lot of it. Very good. We are in for today. Uh, by the time this airs, Picard, uh, this, the, the Picard character pack would have been out for about a month. I, I will ask a question to Jim right off the bat. I noticed that this pack came out um, the same week that July 9th was. And of course, we know that that, week, you know, that day is seven of nine day in Star Trek. Was that on purpose? Because of course, she's highlighted in the Picard season one pack. Or was that happy coincidence? You're on mute. Mute. It was absolutely 100% on purpose. Of course it was. Come on. Uh, okay. <laughs> I everything, hope so. everything we do is completely according to plan. You know that. Uh-huh. Kind of like your <laughs> kind of like your power situation, I'm sure. Yes, it's it's all it's all schemes within schemes. Uh so no, absolutely there was no it, there was no plan. It was just that was the day, that was the earliest day we could release it after it had been fully approved and finalized. So it would just it were a happy coincidence. Okay, fantastic for anyone who opens up the front page in the credits, they're gonna see this is the group of people who actually worked on the writing. And so we're actually going to dig into it, talk a little bit about the show. Um, we know um, this is about season one of Picard. We know right now it's already been through two seasons as we tape this, um, but we're gonna get into the psychology of why we did what we did with a lot of the stats and the creation. Um, I thought it'd be super cool if we start a little backwards and instead of starting with the fleshy characters, even though there are artificial intelligence and androids in this, that we start with the ship this time. Um, and what we, since we're all familiar with the pack, um, hand it over to the person who did the write-up for the ship. They can talk about it, and then we can nail them with questions because I have a bunch of questions about every page um, of this pack. So, so let's go ahead and start with Aaron. You were the one who had the pleasure of writing up the La Serena. It's a Kaplan F. 17 speed freighter. Yes. What was it like? What made this different from other ships you had to write up? Well, uh, it's different in the first place because it's a civilian vessel. Uh, I wanted to make it slightly different and uh, interesting in the way that a civilian ship might be. Not something that's produced for Starfleet and then put into civilian use, but this is, hey, right away, we're making this for people to use in a regular non- scientific exploration or defense sort of way. So I wanted to give it a feel that the other ships might not have. Uh, so I tried to give different uh, information about where the ship might have been made. Um, I wrote a bit about where the Kaplan speed freighters were, were manufactured and their history, but I know that's not in the pack. Uh, I write, I tend to write a lot of stuff that doesn't get published because I tend to be verbose. Um, but it's okay though. I want to ask you a question before we get into the details. Of sure. It. Is this the first time in star Trek where you had a non Starfleet vessel, not talking about the Klingon bird of prey in Star Trek for Voyage mm -hmm. Home, but is this the first time where there's been a non-Starfleet vessel that's featured in such a prominent way in a series? Let me think about that. Um, it might be. Yes, because most of the other, uh, well, yes, all the other ships that are in the in the main series are Starfleet vessels. Um, you could make the argument that Deep Space Nine and it itself is not a Starfleet starbase, mm -hmm. and it is the the 
center of most of the action. Okay. But it's not really a starship. It's a star base. It's sort of not the right. same thing. But yeah, as a as a ship that travels around, yes, I think it's uh, yes, it probably is one of the first times besides the Klingon bird of prey that appears in Star Trek Four. Well, I accept that. That way, I can breathe as to why it didn't have L cars, which you know threw me off at first. But well, yeah, it's awesome. it sort of did. It's just that it's holograms because you know civilians want the flashiest type things that might not be the most efficient to fix when you're in Starfleet. We're going to talk about that too because I was like, you know, Picard was sitting there having trouble with some of the controls. Why didn't he just holographically change it into the old style L cars? Uh, maybe, maybe Rios didn't have that set up for the ship to be able to do that because he really preferred to actually use those holographic displays. Yeah. All right. So break it down for us. What was your favorite part of doing the uh, La Serena? What stands out? What did you want us to notice that we may not have? I wanted, I, well, I was hoping that everyone would notice the strange place names that I actually put in. And it's because um, Ch uh, Michael Shabon, he wrote a book that you might know about in the, in the history. Uh, he, he wrote a book and it had a lot of Yiddish in it. And the Yiddish ended up going into La Serena as the Kaplan shipyards are at Hazelplatz, which is actually a Yiddish word for, it basically means the middle of nowhere. So this colony name is translates to the middle of nowhere. So I ended up putting in more Yiddish colony world names like uh, Ergetz Andrush, and Fargesen, which both means like nowhere else. And I forget where this That's is, great. you know, That's that great. it literally means forget. Um, wow. So I thought that was kind of funny to, to put in. I like putting in strange little nuggets like that. And as it's a speed freighter, I wanted to put in our favorite propulsion uh, systems designer, Yo-Yo Dine. Because Yo-Yo Dine, they, are, they, they have offices all across the federation there's even an office of for yo-yo dine on deep space nine. Oh wow see great trivia, yeah. great trivia. um anybody else have questions jump in because i have a bunch about this um patrick did you have a question no no i'm just i'm just i'm just laughing and then and, and enjoying the yo-yo dine references <laughs> okay cool one of the things uh, that that stood out of course about the, the this kaplan f-17 this particular one is the advanced emergency crew holograms, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I was like, wow, this was so awesome when it came out. So, so talk yeah. to us for those who maybe haven't seen Picard, you know, maybe this will get the, get them into it. What, what was that about? What was that feature of the ship? Well, it, it stems from the emergency medical hologram program. Um, so the normal starship talent is, Hey, you can have an emergency medical hologram come out and, there was some other stuff that was written in, in some of the other books. I think it might've been in the, in the science division or command division that, Hey, look, you can have an emergency command hologram and it uses the same rules, but then Picard season one came out and we suddenly have multiple crew holograms. So I needed to make an adjustment to a starship talent that allowed a starship to project multiple holographic crew members. And it made sense to me that if these, crew members had to both be able to adapt to situations where uh, they could pass any reasonable test for intelligence when talking to them, uh, that this would take a lot of computer processing power. So if you want to have multiple crew 
out there, multiple holographic crew, simulated crew, the computer is going to run slower when you're running multiple iterations of the different program because the computer is having to process all of this input and output with different personalities. Yeah. So it, thought- made, it made sense that the stat for computers goes down with the more holographic crew members you put on. And let me tell you what was beautiful about this that worked into season two. In season two, we know that seven of nine is bequeathed the La Serena. She has it. And of course, she's going to be the queen of efficiency. She's like, no, I just need one hologram. And she keeps up her computer <laughs> power, <laughs> power inputting, uh, power output on the computer system. So I just thought, like, when I saw that, I was like, wow, that makes total sense with season two with what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, she would end up programming the perfect hologram that can just do all the jobs right. and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Any, anything else, Patrick or Jim, you want to share just about the, the Kaplan before we start breaking down these characters? Uh, yeah, I just want to, um, this is not meant to be a blanket apology because I'm sure I'll do it again in the future, but I want to apologize to Aaron because you put it, you put in consistently, you put it in such great detail into all of your ship descriptions, like the overview, the capabilities, and then the talents. There's, there's just so much great content that you put in there. And, uh, you know, 80 times out of 100, there's not enough space on the page to yeah. keep it all, uh, especially when we go into, I mean, mostly when we go into layout, because uh, like, you know, one page uh, of layout, like like this, with this layout, um, you can only, I mean, it, it can only hold so much text, right? And uh, it, it hurts me every time I have to cut because like you have so much great stuff. It's like, I want to keep that because that's good role-playing stuff. I want to keep that because it's good role-playing stuff. And it's just figuring out like tactically, what can I trim and, and still keep all the really cool stuff in, but the, and, and then cut stuff that's not, you know, too horribly, you know, critical. And uh, it almost makes me think that we should think about doing some sort of uh, like a special blog post or a special blog series or something that's like, the the cuts right like like mm-hmm. like behind the scenes stuff or like the the dvd extras on a on a yes on a yes here's here's the great aaron cuts that oh. just make it into the book and here's the extra bits that you can throw in. like I'd all my little all my little comments to the side when i'm yeah. when i'm editing it oh look here's my here's my uh idea this is why it makes sense or this yeah. is the reference that i'm trying mm-hmm. to do yeah yeah and with yeah. jim or Modifius permission permission you can always host it on continuing missions we'll be more than happy to have that <laughs> <laughs> great content yeah. that's great content yeah, so, now, so did, yeah. Oh, go yeah, ahead figure out how to do it That'd be now, fun. did you know what the the original name of the La Serena was when it was originally launched? I have it listed there. It's Shelna Maidel. Yeah, what is that? It it means it's Yiddish for beautiful girl. Nice. So I thought that like, okay, that's a beautiful ship name. It's beautiful yeah. girl. It's just another one of those little Yiddish references that I try to put in because... Since we have all the experts here too, maybe you can answer me one thing, because this is one thing that I have a question about. I don't know the answer. Uh, The Kaplan, it's it's a speed freighter. It's it's a smaller ship. Why is it scale three? For those people who are into, for people who are into um, stats and, you know, the game, Mm -hmm. why scale three? It's not scale three for crew or size. It's scale three because civilians like bumping into things. It's it's literally there because it's made to be as rugged as possible, and people might not be as gentle or well trained when landing the ship on a planetary surface or docking at uh, unregulated star uh, star bases. So it's like, it's literally there because it has really strong bulkheads. 
Okay, and you do have in there redundant systems and rugged design as talents. Okay. So yeah, that's kind of the reason why you want to say scale three. It's not because of of crew. You can't get like three support crew out of a ship that has, you know, a captain and I've holograms. <laughs> and holograms. It's for, it's for making that dangerous spice run. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's pushing the ship way too hard and then bumping into a big rock in space accidentally. Like, hey, look, oops, I have I have big uh, big bumpers on the ship. It's okay. I, I can take that. I think this is really cool because we know one of the next new releases is going to be Utopia Planitia, which is all about ships. And so for people listening to this, game masters and players who want to design their own ship, that's actually some pretty good tidbit for, for thinking about ship design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can have huge ships that might be scale three. I mean, it just all depends on how, uh, how trained the crew is, how rugged the ship is overall. Um, Love it. Yeah. Okay, good. Fantastic. All right. So that's some really good stuff. Um, I'm going to pass it back to Jim now um, because, um, of course, you you approach this a certain way as as the project manager on this. So why don't you uh, tell us, was there, was there anything special that came up as you were granted this assignment by um, Modiphius and Paramount gave the okay on it? Anything interesting that you want to know? Um. Before I answer that question, I just want to, because uh, we're on this, we're finishing up with the Serenia. I just want to say this is one of the f- one of the few products up to a point where we were able to, uh, uh, I was able to to lean on my relationship with a Thomas Marone or Maroni. I'm not sure how he pronounces his last name over at Star Trek Online, and he he provided the render for the Serenia. Uh, we had some good assets from CBS that we could have used, but uh, he had some really good ones from from what they were using in the game. And uh, I leaned on that relationship, and which has been building up for a while now. And so I was happy to be able to include that in here. And you're going to see more of his stuff and Star Trek Online stuff in the uh, Utopia Planitia book, uh, which cool. I'm super, super excited about. I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to get a wealth of material from him. Um, so look forward to that coming up. Uh, so in answer to your question, then, uh, of course, we got the Discovery license and the Picard license about the same time, about a year and a half ago. And uh, we knew we wanted to do some stuff with it. And uh, the crew packs were like the easy, low-hanging fruit that just made sense to do because we've done them for everything else. Um, but I wanted to evolve them a little bit. And we talked about this a little bit when we were doing the Discovery crew pack discussion uh, a couple months ago or whenever it was. Uh, yeah, a couple months ago. And uh, I wanted to I wanted to kind of like level up the crew packs a little bit, right? So like the previous ones, had the characters and it had the station or it had the ship, you know, depending on what it was. Sometimes there was some species information. And I thought, you know, that's good information for a game master, but maybe we could make it even more useful for, for a game master and a group of players. So why not, why not add some supporting characters, right? And, and just do something a little different. So uh, in your, in the spirit of you going kind of backwards through the, through the, uh, um, through the pack, I thought we could talk about the supporting characters uh, this went through a couple different iterations. Um, I think uh, I actually had uh, both, if I remember, I think it was both Michael and Patrick uh, had you each write up a, se- a set of um, supporting characters. And there was like a lot of them to choose from. And uh, and I just kind of went through that and I picked the four that made the most sense to me, you know, just given the, the series and where things were and how it all shook out. Um, having looked at this again, though, <laughs> I kind of I kind of think Riker was kind of a dumb choice in my, and that's on me. Um, I think I might have not included him only because, you know, it, it would have been more interesting to focus on newer characters. Um, I, I got to disagree purely yeah. for the value. Purely really? for the value, 
it was worth putting it in. <laughs> uh, um, although I will, I will note, you know, someone, someone, uh, a fan of ours, correctly pointed out that uh, the William Riker supporting character uh, uh, description of stat block in here has too many points. So I would need to, uh, I would need to go in here and um, and fix that <laughs> because because, because I, I need to fix these stats, stat blocks because there's too many points, which you know kind of doesn't make sense because if you look at his. Uh, character sheet in the um in the tng crew pack and then you come to this you're like wait a minute why is he a supporting character in this one and a full full-blown character in that one so you know it's just it is what it is well he came out of retirement it's fair he got a little rusty I think yeah. it's fair. <laughs> so i guess uh, you know uh, uh, i'll start with you uh or i'll just direct this to you first patrick uh, you know writing up the supporting characters this is the first time we had done this in a crew pack so what did you have any particular thoughts heading into it like what was your perspectives on adding supporting characters to a crew pack and what was your um you know your process or your thought process about going into it i thought it was a great idea because you know, there were a lot of characters that you know come and go that we wouldn't have had to had the chance to to deal with uh, but uh i mean i i miss uh larison javon uh I, uh, I was kind of disappointed that Murder Mom and Murder Dad didn't make it, but, uh, but uh, that's what continuing that's what continuing missions for Patrick. Yeah. Well, yeah, we 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 shall see. We'll we'll, we'll see how the uh, how the uh, behind the scenes uh, documentary goes, but. Uh, I liked it. I thought I thought it was a, a real good idea. And my basic approach to the ones that I wrote was just to, you know, try to make them as interesting a supporting character as I could. Because uh, some of you had such little information on. So it's just, you know, you know leaving them you, wide you, open. You, you, had, you had Dodge for one episode. So it's like, okay. <laughs> I know I, I had worked on Dodge and her sister. And one of the things that I learned um, is keep it wide open so that next season I don't look like completely <laughs> like I was. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't have any angle where the character's going. So that's the challenge of doing, I think, supporting characters, right? Patrick is yeah. keep it wide open enough for that. Yeah, not, you know, not knowing, you know, it, you know where if anywhere some of them were going to be going the, mm -hmm. the in, in the second season because we had no idea what that was going to look like at the time yeah i will point out to people there's some really cool new focuses and talents in here i know for speaking of dodge the auto enabled self defense protocol that was so fun to write so oh so yeah she, i mean cuz right away her stats change in a fight and I was like, oh, we haven't seen that yet in any kind of talent. And so this opened up a new realm of possibilities for people who are playing cyborgs or androids. It's like, oh, is there buried program? Um, so there's some, you know, little treasures or even the case of Hugh. I don't think I wrote Hugh. You must have done that, Patrick. Um, yeah, I wrote a few. It was... Yeah, I I love the focus of hope and first one and the talent of first one. I was like, ooh, hope as a focus. How do you envision people using that? That was my question. Uh, sort of like uh, Pike cooking. Uh, okay, okay. You know, the 
it's one of those nebulous things. It's like, but I mean that he 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 radiates that. Okay. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's almost a different type of inspiration, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. I thought yeah, it's that where, was it's where he gets into a situation where things might seem bleak, but hey, look, man, I I used to be a Borg, mm. um, and I I got I got out of that, and no one would think that you can get out of that. Nice. Look at me. We're look at where I have gone to. Yeah. And he can be inspirational, and that's a hope focus. You know, when I'm inspiring, or yeah, yeah, I love it. Me and Jim have talked on plenty of episodes about being really creative with focuses because right when i saw that it shifted everything about the character it it really did and so i thought that was really nice how you how you looked watched the show and said oh yeah we're going there i thought that was really cool all right good uh michael any other uh, you wrote a couple of these too so any any other thoughts or perspectives from you uh as far as writing up uh, supporting characters did you think they added value uh what would you know what what would you think about uh, adding those in to the crew pack well, the hard part is, of course, three out of four of these, sorry, people, spoiler alert, three out of four of these die by the end of the series, right? So so um, that creates a challenge, but we had talked a lot during the Discovery campaign book about how time travel and other realities can create a lot of possibilities. Um, and so there's really never a dead character. It's really up to the author, the writer, the GM to create the story so i think it gives a good I, I think these are great for springboards or even character modeling so i love it and there's nothing that says your campaign doesn't take place before the events of the series and yeah. these characters can't appear there right imagine imagine in fact i was just watching the episode where hugh first made the appearance in tng season five and i was thinking to myself how did he go from that and then with the XBs getting all the way to what we see in Picard, which would be over 25 years later. That, I mean, that story alone, imagine playing Hugh liberating Borg. Mm-hmm. That would be a yeah. epic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah absolutely. You, you figure that both Commodore O and, uh, and Narissa, right? They were, they had infiltrated Starfleet for, you know, probably years and years and years. And so they're both in Starfleet in the late 23 80s, 23, 90s. And so if you set a game like some point after Lower Decks before Picard, like there's a lot of stuff going on in there that is alluded to in terms of like trying to rescue the Romulans from the supernova. And uh, you could you could drop Commodore O and uh, Narissa right into your campaign and uh, maybe your players don't realize that you're making the connection to Picard. Um, or maybe they do realize that they're like, oh gosh, you know, are we going to get into like this, uh, this intrigue kind of like this cat and mouse kind of intrigue game where maybe they catch whiff of something not right in Starfleet intelligence or Starfleet security. And they start investigating and um, you know, maybe Narissa comes visit, come visits them late at one night and uh, you know, slips a dagger in their, in their back or something like I, I, there's all kinds of things you can do. Um, especially because I think Picard um, tonally is so different from most of what we've seen in Star Trek before, right? It was much, yeah. much darker, much, um, uh, not adult, but just just a very different tone from the the more optimistic, positive view of the future. Yeah, it was pretty bleak. Yeah, it was pretty bleak. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of, I mean, w- when you get that early that early scene with the um, with the synthetics, you know, destroying the the Mars base, it's like what? Yeah. The, what the heck is going on here? This is not yeah, Star Trek yeah. that I'm familiar with, but you know, it's it's just different. It corresponds um, to the vigilante yeah. campaigns which we talk about in the player's mm-hmm. guide. So this was really the first 
vigilante Star Trek show we're seeing. It's, it, yeah. it seems like it's going to be that way with Prodigy, you know, kind of similar. And there's going to be more Picard coming. Um, yeah. So it, it's a new style of play for Star Trek. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think part of, you know, you were talking about what, you know, what, what inspired me or what led me to develop it the way I developed it. Um, part of it, I think somewhere in that time frame, like when we knew we were working on it, we we got the sense that uh, season two of Picard wasn't going to follow on from season one, you know, quite perfectly. Mm -hmm. It was going to be kind of like a different thing. And it certainly turned out to be a very different thing uh, in, in, in hindsight. But uh, um, I knew like it was going to be a challenge to figure out, like, do we do a Picard book? Right. And what does that Picard book look like? And that's a challenge because like season one and season two are so different. And everything I'm hearing is that season three is going to be as different from the other two. Uh, so it's like, OK, so how do you hang a book together co you know, coherently? So I'm, I'm still still thinking about that. But uh, part of the, the decision process then was like, OK, how much stuff can I pack into this crew pack that could make it useful for that period of time and give you lots of cool stuff to work with? So we, we made sure to put in the Serenia. Is like you can you can kit bash that into a, a freighter for your crew, your independent crew, or your uh, your Starfleet crew, or whatever you decide to do. Even a Klingon mm -hmm. crew, maybe even a crew of Nausicans on a, on a F seventeen. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, but that could be that could be the Cosa from uh, Deep Space Nine. Yeah, yeah, SD8 exactly. Ship. Yep. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to make sure we did <laughs> because I don't know, like I know I know what the production schedule is for the next two years, right? And I knew that the fans have been bugging me for a couple of years now to do a Romulan write-up. And we're going to segue into the Romulan write-up here for the for player characters. Even though we've been telling them for years, it's all in the core book, right? The, 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 the attribute modifiers and both talents are in the core book. So you can play a Romulan character right out of the core book. But there, you know, the fans wanted the one sheet, the one page sheet. It's like, okay, well, I'll give it to you, even though there's really no content in here that's new because it's all in the core book. Well, let's talk <laughs> they about that. Didn't believe me, darn it! They yeah. didn't believe me. Well, let's so, talk about that. Let's go. In yeah. fact, I, we're going to keep with the trend, and we're going to keep going backwards through yeah. the entire book because, of course, we should end up talking about Picard last. I mean, right. the star of the show, right? Mm -hmm. So, so let's talk about that Romulan. It's next generation era. Is that significantly different than what we first see in TOS? Do you feel, Jim? This is um, twenty three ninety nine too, right? Well, no, and, and you know, the more I think about it, the, those uh, those little uh, those little tags about what era to play it in, I, I almost think those are kind of arbitrary at this point. I mean, now that the game has been out for five and a half, six years, um, I, I, I've been tempted to just delete it and just say, you know, all eras of play, and just leave it at that. But you know, we've got six years worth of, her of history to play with, so I felt like I should keep it on there. But I think the intent there was that, um, you know unless you're playing a Romulan game, you, you sh not shouldn't, but you, you, you should really think hard about whether you want a Romulan player character in your game uh, until after the next gen era where everything mm -hmm. happens, like the, you know, the, the supernova happens, Romulans are getting integrated with the Federation and with everything else. And then you get the Nerissa character and you get the uh, Laris or not Laris. Uh, what was the other, what was the guy's name? I can't remember. Narek. Narek. Uh, so it just felt like there were more opportunities to play Romulan player characters that weren't necessarily in the in the Romulan Navy, right? That, and so it was just it just made sense to me at the time, right? But now, you know, obviously, if you're a game master and a group of players who are going to play a Romulan campaign in the original series, then ignore it, right? It's not a big deal. <laughs> it's not going to break anything. Um, but Romulans be Romulans, right? From from the original series all the way in through TNG. So the the two the two species talents those aren't going to change. I mean, that's that's just is. Is what it is. I mean, we even saw that in the last episode of um, 
uh, Strange New Worlds, right? Even in an alternate timeline, they're still wary and, and they have guile and they have cunning. So right, that, that hasn't really changed. Yeah, so. that, means, that must make you feel happy that the book comes out and then Strange, or Strange New Worlds episode comes out first, then the book and it kind of marries again, right? It means the writers are on the same page. You wrote, I, Jim, I think you wrote the Romulan. Uh, no, actually, Nathan did. Um, I, oh. I reached out. I reached out to Nathan because I mean, he had already written most of the stuff for the core book, right? So I said, okay. "Hey, Nathan, we need a we need a one page Romulan." So he just kind of tweaked it and uh, and, and and put it all together. I I, I mean, obviously, I edited it, but uh, yeah, I think uh, there's a you know one paragraph I always say makes a story and a plot hook, and I think just the fact it makes mention of the Romulan Free State and then the Romulan Star Empire also is that that creates a lot of stories there, like what's going on. And there has to be other factions besides the Romulan Free State, too. And there's just a wealth of stories if someone really wants to play a Romulan-centric campaign. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, probably like, there's probably like um, Romulan expats as well mm. uh, that are in Federation space. There's probably like anarchist Romulans existing inside the former neutral zone, that kind of thing. That, that, that may, They might even have their own government, something like that. Or even the Tal Shiar, what well, we kind of saw what the Tal Shiar did, but did they break into multiple factions also, kind of like the Obsidian Order with the Cardassians? Yeah. A lot of possibilities in there, right? Yeah, and you've also got the uh, the the unificationists, right? The ones who broke away from uh, Romulus and want to go find Spock and yeah. go figure out a way to reunite Vulcan and uh, and Romulus. And, and that could even you know string out into the 32nd century when uh, when they finally get Navarre together, right? And they and then they finally reunite. So there's that, that whole thread that runs for, you know, uh, centuries. Years, centuries. Oh, my goodness. You could do a Romulan campaign book built on weaving the stories together to get them to the 36th, 32nd century. Oh, my goodness. You yeah. could. You could do you that. You could, yeah. yeah. The, the challenge with that, though, is uh, I know we got Discovery Season 5 coming up here pretty soon. Who knows what's going to happen in that? Like, the, 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 they could do another soft reboot, and, uh, you know, we could be – going off it going going crazy I mean, who knows right but uh, mm. that's the tricky thing about doing products when you have live shows in production uh is that you just you don't know what's going to happen so like do you, do you take a chance and do you write ahead or do you just write with what you know given this the shows that have already come out and that's a that's a tricky uh tricky thing to deal with so uh yeah. well, well anyone anyone who's played in my rpg game aaron het here does on a regular basis knows that i took the liberty because the Romulans are so mysterious to go ahead and create the answers in our game. So if you're a game master or players, you have the opportunity to write, don't wait for the show to write the story, mm -hmm. jump into it because I know Aaron, I don't know about you, but we like our story better. Don't. Yeah, I, 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 I do. I really do. I think uh, it makes a lot more sense. I think it, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it makes it makes for a lot of really good drama that has linked into characters in our game. So it feels a lot more meaningful to us as players. That's the point of Star Trek RPG, right? Right. The story. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's start busting up these characters. What do you say, Jim? We'll head backwards. And yep. 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 So last thing, last thing I'll say about the Romulan write-up is uh, I had, I had a couple uh, art options. I could have gone with Narissa, which we went with, obviously. I also had a really good piece of art of uh, Tomalock, and I was really, really tempted oh, to use. I was really tempted to use Tomalock, but I was like, you know, he's he's a different era from from this version of Picard, and it just it felt better to use Narissa. So, um, as much as I wanted to kind of harken back to the old classic uh, TNG era type of stuff and use Tomalock, because he's such a great oh. character, um, I went with Narissa instead to kind of represent the Romulans. So, uh, just the a little uh, Easter egg there for you. 
Thanks. It would be nice. Uh, it would be nice to see Andreas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I'm still holding out hope that we'll get them in uh, in another crew pack or another product at some point in the future. But uh, we'll see what you know. We'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. uh, but let's uh, let's just continue on backwards here. So uh, Narek, let's talk about Narek. Ah, uh, Narek, 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 Narek. Oh, <laughs> uh, Narek was. Uh, you know, he, he's he's got a lot of the the typical. Romulan shiftiness and but unlike almost any other Romulan we've ever seen, he's charming. He's you know, he he's got a completely different approach than most of the Tao Shiar, which is you know, primarily uh, well, let's break their legs and <laughs> and uh it's not that he can't use force, he's Perfectly well trained. We've seen that more. We saw that more than once. But it's like I said in one of his values: violence is not my first option, but it is an option. <laughs> now, now, were you listening to LMFAO while you were writing this? I was not. <laughs> it's the, I'm referencing the val the second value you listed on the sheet. Oh, I'm sexy and I know it. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's. <laughs> I, I, I was I was not, but uh, I, I'm sure it uh, was stuck in my subconscious somewhere. Well, as I any any fun. good Telshiar or uh, agent should be, he's not above being a honeypot for prospective targets. Makes oh, not sense at to all. Me. Yeah, <laughs> not 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 at all. And that, that is, in fact, his preferred uh, method of operation. If it's uh, especially if it's a. Uh, Beautiful woman, but uh, I mean, what a fun character to play! I, I was just thinking between that and then seduction and backup plans and guile and cunning. I mean, this yeah. is a one of a kind character that I haven't seen yet in any of our write-ups. Well, that's one of the things that's so fun about uh, about writing him up was that he wasn't like any of the you've never really seen a Romulan like this one. There, most of them are all you know, mustache twirling and and. Well, Narissa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One, one adjustment I would have made, you know, because I remind players, you can adjust it if you feel, hey, this, yeah. this, this, it's always open. I, I would have given him a higher con score. I mean, he was he was being pretty stealthy following the La Serena into town, you know, and and you gave him a con to, or he, maybe a focus of shuttlecraft or something. I, so yeah, I was, I bounced, I bounced that back and forth and it's, it's like, I, I can't even remember what my thought process is now because it's been, you know, close to a year, I think, since we wrote these. But uh, yeah, so that's just I look at these things. And I'm like, oh, I would have gone because I like I try to imagine it. But it's great. I would I would I probably would flip command and con the scores or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, look, looking back, that's definitely something that I would I would consider doing would, would be flipping those two. But yeah. Cool. Awesome. Great character. Anybody else want to comment on Narek? Yeah, I think I think the focuses of infiltration and surveillance actually work well for following people, even in a shuttlecraft. It's like, hey, look, I, I know how to surveil uh, people, and I'm just gonna slip right in there afterwards. In okay. like Glenn, that makes total sense. I I agree with that because he didn't really get into a fight. He didn't do any kind of space battle or evasive maneuvers. He was nope. just trailing them. Okay, yep. okay, there you go, Patrick. 
Awesome. Thank you, Aaron, for saving yeah. me. <laughs> it makes sense to me, you know. <laughs> I, I, I got to say, Aaron pulled the yes and, and that's what we're all about here is yes and. So good use of yes and that shows players how to think. So that's great thinking there. Works for me. And all I right. Guess so let's, let's go backwards. Uh, next one then. Who's that? Who's, who wants to talk about Elnor? That's Patrick again. That, that's that's another one of mine. Uh, and he was, he was another one just because of the uh, the whole co-op and a lot thing about absolute candor. Uh, a Romulan that doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. Who will tell you what's on his mind all the time, day or night, <laughs> whether it's good for you or not. Uh, and he was another one, you know, you know, a Romulan honorable warrior. And he didn't have a father. Uh, my dad and I were ever really on, I, we loved each other. We were not necessarily on great terms all the time. So, I mean, I understood not having a father around. I understood how he was hurt when Picard didn't come back for 15 years. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's very easy to get kind of get into that mind space where, you know, you, you know, you love someone, but you're really pissed off at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that was very easy for me to, to, to embrace. Uh, and uh, see, it, it was just fun. Uh, uh, he, he, you know, he, he was the the uh, a lighter character among a bunch. You know, even though he was broken in a lot of different ways, he, he was a much lighter character than uh, Raffi or Picard himself, or, or or heck, just about anybody else in the show. Uh, Out of everyone in the show, this is the person's career I wanted to follow. I mean, it's a groundbreaking character. It'll be the official first Romulan in Starfleet, right? Yeah, yeah. He's he goes on to become the first fully Romulan cadet, which is kind of a that people are aware of that, that, that we're aware yeah. of. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, even O was half Vulcan, half human. I mean, she was a long-term plant. Mm-hmm. I, so, so I imagine she was. I mean, you. I imagine she went to the academy, but Elnor, actually, he was just, he, in, in a lot of ways, he's like Narek in that he was just not like the typical Romulans we had seen. He wasn't Tomalak. He wasn't Sila. He wasn't uh, any of a number of other, you know. Hopefully he gets assigned as chief security officer on the USS Sojourner Truth. <laughs> that would be awesome yeah all right cool cool um let's move on uh michael i'm confident uh that you have a lot to say about seven so because uh, <laughs> i yeah. begged and cried i i begged you to always let me write seven because she's my favorite star trek character she mm-hmm. is the next spock in my opinion she's going to be just as important as spock in 50 years we're going to look back and be like yep seven was the crux of this new universe um so this was fun. I mean, one of the biggest things, I went back and looked at the Voyager crew pack initially. 
But then I had to count how many years. That's nine, that was 2378 when we last saw her on TV. And now we're 20 years, 21 years in the future. But she had dropped so many nuggets of what she had been through in that last 21 years. I was confident she was not the same person that we left her two decades ago. She was disenfranchised now, whereas I thought, and I think a lot of fans thought, oh, she's going to be a shoo-in for, for Starfleet science. I mean, she is a shoo-in. She's the biggest boon the Federation ever had, their best chance at fighting the Borg. But she goes off for whatever reason. And I really was dying to know what that conversation was like with Captain Janeway. It, like, what's their relationship like? So, so I said for her to be so far on the fringes, um, it had to really show in her stats. She really became an ultimate vigilante and she has the skills to prove it. Some of the things um, I had to keep in mind too was the death of Echeb. So she had definitely had that scar on her, a lot of anger. Um, and so I changed her to really, yeah, I, I've always felt like her command score is one. I've always felt she's more of a lone, you know, uh, person no matter where she's at anyways, um, ever, ever since she gained her individuality. So some of the things I put in here was her expertise, of course, on the Borg Collective and search and rescue operations now to really make her a Fenris Ranger. I wanted her really working in evacuation. Thinking, I pictured her thinking back to all the saves her and the Voyager crew had done, all the moral lessons that Janeway had taught her. And that she said, basically, I don't need the Federation to be successful. And the reason I think that's a good argument for seven to nine, and you'll see it in her talents, they've assimilated so many species, the Borg, I refuse to believe they haven't assimilated a species that's better than the Federation. That's God had it together better than the Federation and did things better. So she has this collective knowledge of doing things better. And we know her attitude and her arrogance and her perfectionism and her um, uh, uh, efficiency. I think she just said, let me do it my way. And so I put in the talents assimilated species. So she can pick knowledge from species 8492 or three, two, one. And in a game, one time during a game, she can go ahead and pull that knowledge and show. So I, I, I think that they did a disservice in Voyager that she didn't do that more. You claim to have absorbed thousands of species and I don't see you pulling out this trivia all day long. So I really wanted to give players a chance to push that and have fun with that and just make up a species and make up a focus to get yourself out of a jam every episode. I, I just wanted to push her um, in that. And then one of my favorite episodes with her is, of course, fighting the rock. So I had it though in martial arts Tsunkatsi. And the entire time as I was watching the show and I was aware I'd have to do this write-up, I wasn't going to put it in initially. I said, unless I see her kick butt. And that final <laughs> episode, she got into it and kicked butt. And I was like, okay, she still remembers her Tsunkatsi maneuvers. So again, one of my, there's just so much backstory on this character. One page will never do it all. And if anyone ever needs me to write a novel on <laughs> seven of nine, <laughs> I, I could I could write a comic series series that would blow people's minds of how she breaks down the Federation. Yeah, I really could. <laughs> nice, nice. Mm. Uh, Patrick, uh, Aaron, any thoughts on uh, on seven before we continue on? I do because I also love seven, believe it or not, but not as much as Michael. Um, I would have I would have not used assimilated species as the the name for that talent. I would have used collective memory. Oh, that is good. Um, and, and it's, just because, it's just because assimilated species That's tends good. to be a little more aggressive towards being Borg rather than what Seven is now, which is that's in her past, but she still has the collective memory. 
Yes. Of it. Everyone at home with the PDF editable, just scratch off assimilated species of collected <laughs> knowledge because I do agree with that. Collective memory. Yeah. Collective memory. Thank you. Collective memory. Well, you know, I, I could change that e easily enough if you really want to. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's just for fun. You said collective memory? Yeah. yeah. I love okay. that. Ooh, that's really good. All right. She's a kick butt character. I mean, she, I mean, yeah, it's, let's she, move on. Let's, <laughs> she sure is. I, I could do a whole episode on seven of nine. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to uh, Dr. Soji Asha. All right. That was, again, that was mine. Um, the, the, what I want people to notice in this one <clears throat> is the talents again. So I focused on new ones that had never been in the book before. So one was auto-enabled self-defense protocol. We already talked about that. So she'd have what her twin sister has. And we saw her in action doing that. But the next one was biological mimicry. And there, it's not, I, I want to impress to players and to game masters, you'll notice there's no bonus anywhere in this. It doesn't say plus one or get a spin a momentum in this. It's just showing that part of her talent is that she's, stronger, faster, she can hear better, she has senses. And I just, I didn't think that putting Android in traits would really help a player expand on, you're dealing with somebody who is the bionic woman. Yeah, I was gonna say, she's the six million oh, credit woman. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think that could play into that is that use talent sometimes just to create um, the character, especially because it's a boon what she could do. If, if all of a sudden you're chasing Romulans, and it's a three-story building, she can jump and make the jump. And that's something that other characters couldn't do. So that's a talent. Yeah, that that when you saw Dodge do that in the first episode, uh, it's like... Yeah, and so, I did it, it. Yeah, you hi. know how what where where it hit me, and I I wrote it in the blog initially. <laughs> I got you. I got you. I was just... Human, humans happen. Um, so where... What got me is that, and I wrote this in the blog, that this was the very, in my opinion, the first Star Trek where so many people had superpowers, a superpower. They had something they could do that nobody else could do. And I know a lot of people like playing superhero RPG. And in Star Trek, we have a whole universe. So if you really want to go there, you don't necessarily need to have power stats. You could make it a special talent, whether it's a cybernetic thing, uh, if it's biological memory, if you have a cloaking ability to cloak, that could become a talent um, that you could wrap into the game. There are superpowers, maybe not superpowers, <laughs> but superpowers. So that was my thinking behind that, Jim. Very nice, cool. Yeah, uh, Aaron, uh, Patrick, any, any, any other thoughts on uh, Asha? Or uh, I guess Soji in this case. Yeah, I've... Maybe I would have said instead of Data's daughter, I would, I would have said like daughter of Soong. Um, because like the Soong type androids might be different than synthetic, but I did it because of the painting. I, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did it because of the painting. And, and I felt her personality in the end was trying to get her to be more like Data than, than Soong's attitude. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right, that was fun. Okay, cool. I got the well, next one on. too. <laughs> yep, we'll move on to uh, Dr. Agnes Gerardi. Um, this she's interesting. I mean, I'll point out what I what I liked about 
writing her her focuses again biology neurology opera research and development synthetic life theoretical cybernetics and that runs into her value which she said i'm the earth's leading expert on synthetic life so uh, and i think we all know where this character evolves to it just makes sense um, as a character so really interesting a totally different character than i think we've ever seen in star trek before yeah um but really enjoyed writing her yeah and, and should should we should probably note that uh, we wrote this well before season two came out and we oh, had yes. we had i mean i don't think anybody had any well i mean there were plenty of people in production who knew but like the the average fan including us we had no idea where season two was going Zero. <laughs> I don't think any of us could have predicted what was going to happen to her in season two. You know, <laughs> right. no spoilers. But uh, yeah. I think, uh, Michael, I think you were—you must have been prophetic to put in these these uh, these focuses because um, you know. Well, let me show. Yeah, well, let me show you how a player can use this character. I think sometimes yeah. what happens is players look at their sheet and they don't see how it all works together to blend. So if she's dealing with a synthetic life form like the Borg Queen, which we see in season two, not only can she use her value of "I'm the Earth's leading expert on synthetic life." you know, to maybe spin and get those those two instant successes on a roll. But you can put her, if she's fighting against the Boar Queen, she's probably doing control plus engineering, which is a 15 score. She can drop into that synthetic life. And then if you go to her talents, if she's attempting a task that involves synthetic life form, she adds a bonus D20. And if she's dealt with it before, she's a quick study. And she has testing a theory. You can, she, without spending any additional momentum, she could have a 40-20 hand. And that's how she got the Borg Queen. <laughs> Theoretical cybernetics is also important for developing yeah. new cybernetic implants that a Borg might be exactly. generating from their nanites. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So, so to your point, Jim, when I was watching season two, I was like, yes! You know, because it shows she's, <laughs> she's bad. She's awesome. Uh, so I was yeah, really yeah. happy it turned out like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's always nice when things work out, right? <laughs> Yeah. And then if it doesn't work out, we can always fix it in uh, in editing later. <laughs> fix it in post. Yeah, exactly. Uh, great. Let's move on to uh, to Rafi then. Raf Rafaela Rafi Musiker. Rafi Musiker. And I don't know if I ever. Rafi was a gift. Uh, because we talk a lot about representation and, and people going well patrick you've, you're you're all over star trek you're a cis white middle-aged white dude <laughs> uh i'm also an alcoholic mm. i mean i've been sober for 20 years plus but i've i've been where rafi was with her son i've been where Rafi's son was too, my, mm -hmm. because dad was also an alcoholic. I mean, I really, really understood <laughs> about about Rafi, and I was uh, so. I mean, I, I don't know if I ever said thank you, Jim, but thank you because, like I say, working on this one was a gift uh, because. You know, all the characters are broken. That was one, you know, I, I touched on that in the, the blog post that I did, but yeah. they're all broken in some way. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Uh, but 
Rathy was in pieces and she's been trying to put those pieces back together for you know, ever since she lost her clearance 15 years ago after the Mars attacks. And I mean, I, I, I knew what that was like. I, I knew uh, what it's like to hit rock bottom. That's, you know, one impossible thing at a time is just a, a variation on uh, one day at a time. Uh, nice. And she spent, she spends the entire season, you know, trying to fix things with Picard, with her son. And she doesn't always succeed, but she's making the effort, uh, which is, you know, where a lot of her values came. And we were talking, someone was talking about it online, how, uh, you know, how, how paranoid she is and how all her uh, talents tend to, to stick to the, to the GN because she, she can get so much information going away. Did I make her paranoid enough? <laughs> I, one of the things I like about it, too, that you wrote in there, and I think we always talk about player safety here, you have the trait of addict in there. And just, you know, based off what you were just saying, mm -hmm. Patrick, what advice, you know, do we want to give people, you know, if you're a player and you pick up this character sheet kind of nonchalantly, but who are we playing with? What's some advice maybe you would give about player safety and consent? Uh, yeah. Feel around, find out, you know, if, if you're the GM, ask the player that picks up the sheet, you know, are you comfortable playing into this aspect of, uh, of her, her life? Because it's not, you know, it, it can be flavor text if you're not comfortable playing into it. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, you know, if you're comfortable, I mean, you know, I would, be able to pick her up and just and just run with it but it can be excuse me go ahead no no and i wanted to add too but think about if you picked it up if i if i'm not playing the character but i'm playing in the same group with you i still have to be sensitive to certain things in yeah reacting to it right this is a discussion player should a group should probably have that is, that is absolutely something because uh when i was drinking I could be a real jerk. <laughs> so, I mean, you really want to be careful with it. Yeah. But I mean, that, that to me was such a touchstone of who her character was, you know, who she is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you do it right in the game, we've taught, we've had, you know, all of us have a lot of experience with making sure to check with the group before having certain subjects. When you do it right, but always check, never assume but when Absolutely. you do it right, it makes the best RPG experience. It makes us more empathetic to others, too. So Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely something you'd want to talk to everybody about at a session zero, right? Or even oh, yeah. in the middle of it, if, like in the middle of the campaign, if you decide that you want to take your character in a different direction tonally, you know, just check in with your group, check in with your game master, um, and, uh, and then figure out, like, what level do you want to play it at, right? You could go, like, really, really deep, <laughs> but like you know patrick was saying and, and and do the really hard dark stuff and or you can kind of like you know not to not to trivialize it but you can kind of have it at a different level where uh you know maybe she is an addict but you 
you play it off or, or, or you don't go too deep into the detail and it's just present and, and it's there. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I think to your point to that, yeah. Jim too, attic there is not a negative all the time. We got to remember that traits can be used both negatively and positively in the game. And so you could become an inspiration to someone who's dealing with it in the game. Also a different type right. of addiction. So just make oh, sure absolutely. players understand that attic is not a negative. It can be used as a very powerful yeah. life learning lessons so get really creative with that but be sensitive to the group right mm-hmm. yeah for sure for sure idle All curiosity right. uh jim uh when you were assigning these to 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 michael and me uh what 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 was your thought process on who was going to do what character well, first of all, let's be clear. I begged for seven. I said, I don't care who you that, 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 <laughs> that much that much is given. I I I, I understand that. Uh, <laughs> I you know, I honestly don't remember. I mean, it's been what over a year now. Yeah. Did it. I think I uh I had I I had a I had a sheet of paper. I wrote down all the characters that were in the show, of course, all the major, all the major characters, all the supporting characters that I thought made sense. And um, I, I, the only one I knew for sure is that I knew that Michael wanted to do seven. So that was obviously in the Michael column. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, I, and then I just kind of like divided up everybody else kind of um, like in terms of like, okay, how, how, uh, how much weight did they carry in the, in the series, right? Like, you know, Picard obviously was the heavy, you know, Agnes had some stuff to do. Rafi had some stuff to do. And I just tried to balance it out between the two of you. I, I don't think I, I, I picked any particular favorites other than to say, you know, Michael really campaigned for seven. And yeah. uh, um, I would never hear the end of it. We gave seven to Patrick, Michael. It's, the yeah, whole blog so, would shut down. I would never. Yeah, there was, there was, there was no, uh, there was no special sauce. You know, I wasn't yeah. throwing a dart at the dartboard. I wasn't rolling dice or anything. It, it just, it was just pure, pure like gut feeling of like okay who can probably do this well and, and, i mean not even that because i know you're both really good writers uh, so i wasn't worried about what you were going to deliver so it, it was you know just me coming up with the I list i think it worked out perfectly. <laughs> it, it worked out i was just i was Perfect. just curious if there was a, a specific process or if it was just yeah. something based on what you just said though honestly I, i'm eager to play the 2k what you said about eleanor and what you said about rafi i'm like wow these are deep characters i'm going to appreciate yeah. them a little bit more yeah, and you know, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's part of it, right? Maybe there's that that unconscious um, wavelength that uh, that that led me to assign Rafi and, and Elnor to you, and they both ended up having some some personal relevance to you, right? So like, yeah, you, I I, I want to say you're welcome that I gave them to you, but like, <laughs> it wasn't intentional. It was just the way it worked out. And you know, again, we were talking about happy coincidences earlier in the show and i guess that's made me i mean not happy necessarily because uh yeah hard stuff hard stuff tied into it but uh just you know coincidence and uh the, the cosmic uh you know unconscious uh was at work there probably cool mm. all right so uh, that being said let's uh, let's jump over to uh uh, this character, I have, I have such mixed feelings about this character. Uh, Rios, uh, Cristobal, Chris Rios. Okay, good. This is the final character that I had the privilege of doing in the pack. Um, uh, really interesting. You know, looking back on his character over two seasons now, um, really the fallen hero in, in the sense. He went through some really traumatic stuff, and I tried to capture that in the, in the um, narrative um, there. Um, 
having witnessed the crime, a Starfleet sanctioned crime, that's huge. I'm trying to think if any other first officer ever saw that, you know, like if Chakotay had to go through that or if Riker had to go through that, how they would have reacted. I Riker, think the Riker did, yeah. Not to the level that Rios did, but yeah, this was this was yeah. huge, you know, and, and he resolved it. Riker could resolve it too. This this had no resolve for so many years that this guy was just bake slow baking um, Starfleet. But at, in at heart, he's a he's a great officer. Some of the things um, that I liked about him was the fact that he was pulling a hand solo for lack of a better word <laughs> you know but but it's like whoa this is like the very first you know hand solo level character and so i enjoyed um giving him criminal organizations as a focus and you know he's an expert on his ship that's his aluminum something you know uh uh if you catch that reference um and soccer i i was i wouldn't have given him soccer unless he uses a weapon in the last episode <laughs> <laughs> then I was like, okay, you know, that, that was kind of fun. Okay, he's beyond, you know, just just uh, batting it around. Um, I thought what's cool, Aaron, is without knowing what you were doing with the La Serena and mm -hmm. the power penalty on the computers or the processing penalty on the computers, that I gave him emergency holographic team as an advantage. So when he does use it, at least you get it that one point bonus for using them. So that could balance things out. Um, when playing the character, um, which I thought was cool. I have to say the hardest part, and I, I want all of your input on it. And really, I don't know why I didn't go to Aaron for this, in fact, because you're technology man for Star Trek Adventures, that field replicator. <laughs> what was uh, your take on that? <laughs> my, my, my take on it is that it, well, I, I didn't, I didn't like it as a narrative device because it's kind of like a magic wand. Yeah. Um, it just solves the problem that you don't really know what the solution is. You just imagine that there is a solution and it's there. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't like it. I'll be, I'll be honest about it, but as a talent, um, I guess it, it makes, it makes sense that if he has knowledge of using like, let's just say ships replicators that he generally knows his ship very well. Uh, he's been on Starfleet vessels a whole lot, and most of the technology that the Federation would be manufacturing, both for Starfleet and the civilian sectors, would be fairly well standardized across most shipyards. Mm. So him just going, hey, something's broken. I have a lot of emergency repair damage control training through Starfleet. Um, my whole thing is if something's broke, I can generally fix it, and I generally know what the device is that i need to build to fix it yeah so that's I sure fine i just would that pass i just wouldn't have tied it to the magic wand i would have just said hey this guy's great at actually designing things on the fly to fix other things and it gives them an advantage but then they made such a big deal out of the field replicator and then Picard used it to, I don't know how they hooked it up to the ship to create the holographic. I mean, there was all this stuff. I just, it was such a huge device. And I yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it. how it was able to access as much power as it needed to, but to generate dozens of fully interacting Las Arenas running around. But so Jim, I don't know how you let that pass. I, I remember looking, I was like, this is going to get kicked back, but was there certain reasoning where you're like, yeah, that, that flies. Uh, why which one flies the field replicator talent as a talent because i almost put it under equipment but i said well you know it's such a huge deal for i, I thought it was fine i mean i 
you know, you're you're talking to the guy, and, and this I, should, I probably shouldn't admit this, right? But like, I'm not I'm not a mechanics guy, right? I don't like I care about the mechanics, and as long as they work in the game. But like, is it a t- if it's a piece of talent or a piece of equipment? Like as a game master, I don't care. It's like it's a cool thing to do, so make use of it in the game. Go for it. And uh, um, you know, maybe Nathan might uh, might have made it a piece of equipment instead of a talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and certain players would probably be really precious about what talent slots they're using for certain things. But like as an as a role playing tool and and for making the character unique and interesting, I totally left that in because I was like, yeah, this is this is what he was doing in the at least in the last uh, episode or two. Um, yeah. Of, of it, so I, you know, I, I left it because uh, I, I didn't think it was taking anything away mm-hmm. from it. And uh, so, you know, I when, when when I get into that kind of a situation, um, ninety nine times out of a hundred, I'll err on the side of siding with the writer and and knowing that you had something in your head. Like I, I may reach out to you and ask you a question, but otherwise, I'll take it as it is and say, okay, you know what, this writer know, knows what he's doing or she's doing, and uh, or they or they're doing whatever. Um, and, and just go with it. So uh, I didn't have a problem with it. And, um, and, and so, and Nathan, you know, I, I think pretty sure I sent this to Nathan just for his quick, quick glance at it. Cause he's, he's such a good mechanics person. Um, and he lives and breathes Star Trek, even though he's not actively working on the line like he did before. Um, and he didn't have any comments on it. So I was like, you know what, I'm fine with it. So let's go. In my mind, I, I think that this was the early evolution of what we see in the 32nd century of programmable matter. I think this was maybe a small first application of it because then by the time we get to the 32nd century, they're strapping the cells to programmable matter. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They're doing whatever the heck they want to do in the 32nd century. And it's all magic. <laughs> all well, right. it, makes, it makes sense as a talent. It makes sense as a talent, something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when when you get into something when it's when it's cool and interesting and it's very character specific, I'm all over that because uh, you know the the more the more unique you can make these characters. Like, I mean, there's there's so much this this toolbox is so huge, and there's so much you can do to play with it. Especially when you learn the system and you can start playing in the in the in the middle ground and, and create new stuff. I mean, it, it, and the other thing, Michael, now that you've now that I'm thinking about it, and you're making me go down into the weeds here. Um, um, this this is just another way of showing how flexible the system is, right? Where you can create a thing. And it's like, is it a talent? Is it a piece of equipment? Is it part of a character trait? Like, there's some wiggle room here. And I know, I think even Patrick, I think way back a couple of years ago, we uh, we had a di- discussion on social media somewhere. I mean, not necessarily you and me, but like yeah. with fans. We were talking. What the heck were we talking? We were talking about like, um, oh gosh, now I'm gonna have to <laughs> my brain. It was like. We were talking about like, is this a species? Like, is this a talent or is it part of the species trait? Right? Is it, oh. is it something that they can innately do that should actually be part of the species trait, or is it a dedicated talent that they have to buy? And I was like, well, you know, you could go a couple different directions with it. And you know, now honestly, I can't remember what the heck it was. Like maybe the shroud talent for the Jem'Hadar or the shroud talent for the that um, that sounds the, familiar. The Jim, we had we had a similar discussion yeah. about ships with that, whether uh-huh. something is just a trait or a talent, like landing right. on a planet. Right. Oh yeah, that, that was a recent conversation we have about because of the uh, Utopia Planitia book. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it came up a couple times prior to that too. And I think um, you know, on the one hand, my dodge is like, well, you know, go with what feels right for you. <laughs> but but that's the truth because you know Nathan made the system so flexible that that you know, any given game master and group are going to approach it a little differently. 
And maybe they'll say, well, you know what? The EMH, that doesn't need to be a talent. That's just part of the ship. That's just part mm-hmm. of the, the, you know, the yeah. time frame that that ship is in. You know, don't, don't waste the talent slot on that one. I can just give it to you and say, okay, yeah, you have the EMH. You know, what do you need a talent for? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just showing you, like, uh, you know, hey, game masters and players, like, this system is super, super flexible. And if you change something from a talent to a trait or, you know, a piece of equipment to a talent, like you're not going to break the system. It's, it, this isn't like uh, certain role-playing games where you pick an extra feet and then like all the math breaks down. Right. Right. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's an extreme example. I, but uh, I, 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 I want to say to you, we let the narrative in our game, we let the narrative drive it. And there's been times where the narrative drove like, uh, we're switching a talent right now, or mm-hmm. we're, we're changing a focus and that's okay. Especially if you're doing a narrative driven game in this yeah. case, first, again, we don't see the field replicator again at all in season two. All kinds of things were broken. They didn't use it once. So, right. so you know, they narratively took it out. So, um, yeah, the seventh mm-hmm. without the airlock, which she which she turned off all the other holograms. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, good points. All right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump over to uh, let's jump over the admiral. The, show, the 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 main focus of the show, the the namesake of the show, John, <laughs> JL John. Yeah. John it's, Luck Pickard. <laughs> John Luck Pickard here. Or, yeah. Or, yeah, all right, Aaron, JL. And I was like, every time I heard it, I, I will admit, like, I, I, I tried really hard to like the series, but like the instant I heard JL, I just got yeah. this like, little mental twist. I was like, that doesn't fit. That doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, anyway. yeah, eye twitching yeah. time. Yeah. Was... <laughs> yeah, because this wasn't daunting at all. <gasps> <laughs> Talk to us like, about your nerves. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the the nerves that started fraying around the edges. Like, oh, I've <laughs> got to do Picard in his own show. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, as you know, we were talking about with with Raffi, did I make her paranoid enough? Uh, I think a lot of this season of the, the this first season was Picard. A dealing with his mortality because he's he's told his life expectancy is uh, somewhat foreshortened, and cleaning up a lot of the messes he left. Uh, There's a scene when he went and asked uh, Admiral Clancy for a ship, and she's going with the sheer bleeping hubris. And I'm going, she's not wrong. Uh, you know, it's like, so he's like, did I make John Luke arrogant enough? And did I manage to find a way to get him past it? Uh, most of his, his values are, are getting past with his, one of his big ones is I didn't leave Starfleet. Starfleet left me. I mean, he, he had three things he was dealing with. He was dealing with grief because, you know, 20 years later, he never got a chance to say goodbye to data you know when my dad died i didn't have a chance to say goodbye to him we were not speaking at the time uh so i mean i understood that regret um i mean i just had to make things up i've never felt that kind of tug of mortality the i'll never be you know i may never pass this way again i've never really had to deal with that personally but uh you know the 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 arrogance and the 
and the hubris. Uh, the, he had to you know, tear himself down a lot to, to rebuild himself before the end of the series, uh, the end of the season. And, you know, I, I understood a lot of that. I, I went and, you know, he had become very familiar with the Romulans, which is why I gave him the Romulan, uh, the, the Romulan customs focus. And he, you know, I gave him reassuring as a talent because the man can give a can, can give a reassuring speech. Uh, and he bound together. We have to remember he's the glue of all the vigilantes. I mean, he brought them together, right? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, you know. He's the glue that stuck a lot of crews together for a long time. That's why you have the doctor from the Stargazer still coming back to see him after all this time. Why, like, all these people from his past are hanging around the vineyard. Um, Clearly, the man has reassured enough people themselves that that makes sense. And, yes, he is the glue for everyone. Yeah. And where does one – I mean, you raise a good question, Patrick. Where – what do you have to do in Starfleet to get a voice? That's one of the things I remember in the scene where he's like, yeah, give me a ship, right? They never gave Captain Kirk a ship. He had to steal it, right? So so at what point do you think you're owed something by Starfleet? Are you really only the only captain out there doing amazing things? Or is is that just the life of a Starfleet captain? Yeah. Well, I think it's the life of the, uh, the, the, the hero captains for sure. But, you know, I like I say, I was just I was watching that, and she goes off on him, especially after that that uh, that interview, which was mm-hmm. ill conceived. Uh, and, and, and you know, at, the admiral goes off on him, and going, you know, I will, I, I'm going to give her that one, uh, especially when he goes. If you think my being an admiral is going to be too much of a, a show, I will accept a motion to captain. <laughs> I was like, really? How generous no, I, of you? <laughs> I, I'm with you, Patrick. No, I agree that she she was she felt like she was in the right on that, and that John Luke was actually kind of off base with his his request. But that being said, it wouldn't be that hard to get a hold of a starship like civilian ships yeah. are everywhere you can get a shuttlecraft it's not that hard like, yeah that, or that or you know one i mean if we're gonna go there and if somebody and uh, this is good me and jim have talked about this before if some of you think you had a better idea of how this could have worked out this is your chance to role play it with this with this character guy because of what i would have done if i was him i would have called up my buddies i would have called up wharf or captain laforge and been like i need a favor and that never yeah. happened. He just went right into Starfleet and said, "Give me a ship. Give me a <laughs> yeah. crew that I that might die under my agent command." You know, it's like that. That was hubris. That definitely was. Mm-hmm. So now you get a chance if you're a player and game master, take it from there. Take it where he maybe makes a different decision on how to attack this and and run the same scenarios and see how it would turn out. That'd be fa- fantastic to hear about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think well, you wrote him well, though, Patrick. I really oh, thank do. you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I'll just say as an Easter egg for everybody from the introduction, um, if in case none of you caught it, um, oh, actually, no, it's in there. So never mind. Uh, but if you didn't notice in all the introductions to their tweak to be in the voice of Commander O, 
-hmm. So it's almost like her dossier on these characters that she can't believe got together. I sat there when I was doing the introduction. This is something that Tal Shiar could never have predicted. In all their simulations, with all their intelligence, they could never have guessed that Picard was going to pull together this ragtag vigilante group to, to mess up their plans. And that's the way I tackled that from her perspective. Yeah, if, if, if I had known you were going to be writing all the other stuff from her, I, I'd have slanted the, <laughs> I, I, I would have slanted the uh, character paragraphs a, a, a little bit to, to, to aid in that. We, we worked them. I think Jim tweaked, Jim and I t- yeah. tweaked them a little bit just to make yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah it's, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. All right. Jim, all right, anything well, else as we close out? Uh, let's see what else. Um, yeah, the only, I think the only other thing, key thing to note is that this was uh, this was an opportunity for us to do a new uh, a new fresh layout design. Uh, we knew that uh, Picard, uh, you know, season one was a group of ragtag characters, not Starfleet, not uh, Klingon, not uh, you know, not anything that we've seen before really in the show, uh, at least as a as a focal group. And um, knowing that it was in the you know twenty three ninety nine heading into the twenty fifth century here, it was a it was an opportunity to do something different because the the L cars layout for the TNG series didn't make sense. Uh, TOS, you know, Enterprise, the other layouts that we've already done just didn't make sense for this one. And uh, it worked out that I mean, again, this is a year ago. It worked out that the the graphics team, design team at Modifius had space in the schedule. So I was like, and I got to them early enough, which is important. I got to them early enough and said, hey, I. We're working on this crew pack for Picard. Uh, I'd like a fresh layout design with a white background and uh, dark text. And then um, we might possibly use this in a book at some point. Uh, if it, you know, uh, assuming we do decide to do a full-blown Picard book, um, I'm sure we'll bring it back. But uh, you know, with season three of Picard coming, I mean, who knows what that's going to look like? I don't know if we'll go back to the L cars for that, or if we'll do something different. We'll just have to see. But uh, yeah. at least those, for this particular those are gonna product, be, those are going to be some fun character write-ups. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I oh, yeah. don't know what to expect, but I know we'll. I, I'm, I'm confident we'll do a season two pack here at some point. I, I need to talk to the folks Mendivius about what that the timing on that looks like, but uh, I certainly want to do it. I, I don't know that we'll definitely do it, but I certainly want to, uh, just because you know the season two was interesting and different, and uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see how we take these characters and kind of evolve them to the next uh, the next point. Uh, so yeah, I appreciate um, um, the the layout design that uh, Chris Webb put together. It was my first time working with him directly. Uh, he's, he does a lot of great stuff from Modifius and he he delivered on this one, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. Uh, so that other than that, um, thanks to uh, Thomas over at Star Trek Online for the render of the La, La Serena. And also thanks to Joseph Russo over at Star Trek Timelines. Uh, we've been working with him for, uh, oh, oh gosh, almost six years now, almost from the beginning. Uh, uh, all the uh, all the character art in these packs are from Star Trek Timelines. So if you play the Star Trek Timelines game, the, this artwork will be very familiar to you. Um, I'm grateful that we have relationships with some of the other Star Trek license, licensees and the fans notice. Like I, I, I get comments every now and then from fans who appreciate the fact that their art is, on, is in our stuff and uh, they can see a con, they can see connectivity among the different games and among the different licensees. So uh, expect to see more of that in the future, uh, especially as I continue to uh, to build relationships and find more licensees to work with. So uh, hopefully, the art is glorious. Yeah, the, the, there are, and uh, this is no slide on them because their art's been good. But like, if you look at the crew packs for the original series and Next Gen, 
their artists have gotten better and better and better over the years to where like the art in here is just really, really solid. Like all these oh, characters yeah. are really, really good. And um, they've just gotten better over the years, which I appreciate because we get to use their art and I'm grateful for Joe and that relationship. So thanks thanks to Joseph. Thanks everybody at, uh, at Star Trek Timelines and Star Trek Online. And um, you know, my, my dream is always to put, also print these out and do standout cutouts at some oh. point for <laughs> yeah. all of these, you know, which would be uh -huh. super cool because the art. Put them on little popsicle so sticks. Yeah. Exactly. Wouldn't that be cool? Little, little, little puppet show. Yeah. Yeah. So per um, tradition, um, we want to shout out some game shops too. So today I'm going to shout out Game Castle in Austin, Texas. Uh, that came from Robert Shank. And then Michael Rosen wanted to shout out the Battle Standard East Windsor, Connecticut. So we always love giving love to brick and mortars just because of everything that they do to support the games. And I don't care how, how long you play. And if you play virtually, most of us can't ever walk by a game shop. We got to go in and smell the books and touch them. So we appreciate you uh, putting those businesses together for us. Um, Aaron, do you want to give a shout out? And Patrick, do you want to give a shout out too to maybe your favorite constabulatory? Yeah, Summit, <laughs> Summit Comic and Games in, in Lansing. That's the one I always go to. It's right downtown. Cool. Patrick? Yeah. Uh, the Adventurers Guild in Amarillo, Texas. Last time I looked, they still had a limited edition Klingon core book on their shelves. So Ooh, valuable. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, everybody, I mean, this is great to be able to have everybody get together who worked on this, um, you know, the writing of this book uh, to get Picard. It, I like it when a product comes out, it makes me appreciate the show even more watching it the next time. So Jim, uh, good job on that. Anything you want to say to take us out? Uh, no, just uh, just thank thank you all for uh, for joining me on this project. I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate all of you, and uh, I'll be coming I'll be coming to you all again uh, soon. I'm sure for for more stuff. And um, thanks to the fans. Like I, I, we never thank the fans enough because without the fans, we wouldn't be doing this uh, heading into year six now. So uh, thanks for your support, and uh, look forward to a whole bunch of cool products coming up here in the near future. Um, the the four that the four major products that are on my plate right now. Are coming together really, really well, and I've got a whole swath of uh, smaller, you know, you know, smaller projects in the works. And um, I just, uh, I just posted, and this is just a teaser. I just posted um, sixteen new product suggestions to the Midifius boards, um, in internal development boards. So if I can get all sixteen of those greenlit, there'll be plenty more work to come for next year too. So uh, we'll see what happens. I have a meeting tomorrow. So. <laughs> All right, thank you everyone for tuning in to another continuing conversation. Thank our guest, IDIC. See you the later. Long and prosper. Be safe, be well. We'll talk to you next time.